So what I kind of uh, tend to do is find a niche that I'm interested in, for example, a brain traumatic brain injury or trucking, or it could even be more specific like a garbage truck accident in the Bronx. And then you try to rank for that and then you start getting leads. And because you rank for that, it might also help you in other related areas. You're listening to Best Practices with Kenny Berger. On this podcast, we talk with the country's top trial lawyers about their approaches to every aspect of practice, from case selection to closing argument. Hello, and welcome to Best Practices. This is Kenny Berger. Uh, My guest today is a good friend and yet another person um, that I got to meet out in Montana at a trial by human workshop. His name is Arkady Freckman. And Arcady practices up in Brooklyn, New York. And, and the whole time we were out in Montana together, Arcady was, was very soft-spoken, very mild-mannered, very insightful. And then uh, we, we got into practicing um, and working on, on closing arguments. And Arcady blew us all away. I mean, the, the power that you brought to bear on this closing was... Uh, was was several several steps ahead and and substantially better than than what I and, and some other folks were doing and, and was just so impressive. You know, the, the humility and kind of your humble spirit on the one hand combined with the authenticity and the power that you brought to this demonstration of a closing you had an upcoming case was was really powerful. So with that, Arcady, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Now it's great to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, tell us a little bit about your practice up there in Brooklyn. Yeah, so we have a um, small personal injury firm. It's me and about uh, seven other attorneys, and we have about 20 people, and we have offices in Brooklyn. Our main office is in Bensonhurst, which is South Brooklyn, and then we have uh, Bedford-Stuyvesant, which is more North Brooklyn and close to Queens, and then we have offices in Queens as well, in the Bronx and in Manhattan. So we try to um, you know, make ourselves available for clients anywhere in the New York City area. Mostly we do New York City cases. We tend to focus on serious injuries, um, trucking, commercial vehicles, uh, construction, construction site accidents, pretty much anything serious where we could help the client. Our, our mission is like helping serious injury victims and their families. So any, anywhere where we could step in and help the client, we, we, we strive to do that. And you know what's funny to hear is when you're like, ah, you know, we're a small personal injury firm, seven people, a few offices, 20 support staff or so. By South Carolina standards, I mean, you're that's pretty big. Oh, right, right. But but then again, I mean, we've got five million people, give or take, in our state, and you've got obviously more than that just in the city. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, New York City, I guess for New York City, we're probably medium, small to medium size. I mean, there are some firms with like 30 lawyers and even 50 lawyers. I think now we have some of the big firms that are national. They've come to New York. So there's a lot of competition in New York. So, the, and we see a lot of the billboards and the marketing on the internet everywhere. So it's. Um, yeah. So that, that leads to a question I've always had, which is, you know, in a place like New York city, how, how do you, how do you get cases? I mean, I presume it's similar to how people get cases uh, in South Carolina. I mean, where I am in Columbia, it's not as if we're a small town, but I've just always been interested when you when you come to a true metropolis, 
what it is that y'all do from a marketing standpoint to, to generate work. Right, right. So yeah, just trying to stay on the cutting edge of marketing. So back in the day, I remember I was doing pay-per-click and I think right when it first came out, because I've been doing this since 1999 and I started doing SEO really early, I think in, also in right in the, when the millennium hit in 2000, I started doing a little SEO. And at one point I was doing great. I was like number one on the Google, uh, my business, you know, the ABC and the little snack pack. I was number one. So I was getting all these calls and then I was, I was ranking for whatever keywords I wanted to rank for. And I was at the paper pack. So I was really uh, getting a lot of cases. And then with all the changes and all those updates and algorithms, now it's a little bit harder. So what I found that works for me now, I mean, still, I think the internet is the place to be, but I try to carve out a niche. Like For example, instead of ranking for like accident lawyer, I might rank for ceiling collapse injury lawyer, you know, and get cases like that in Brooklyn or in the Bronx. In fact, it's funny, one weekend, I got eight calls for ceiling collapses in New York City. And I didn't even think there were eight, you know, that happened. That's a lot. And it was just like, I think, yeah, between Friday to Sunday, eight different uh, ceiling collapses and everybody got injured. It was Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, all over. I guess I was ranking at that point for that search term. So I try to do that. I try to rank for different search terms organically, still do a little bit of pay-per-click. And, and then the other strategy that I've been doing more recently was I've been uh, doing videos on YouTube and that's been leading to some cases. So that's been working as well. So you make a really interesting point about on the, the SEO side and for, for folks who aren't as familiar, search engine optimization. In other words, when people enter terms on Google that you rank for those terms, not just because you paid for an ad, but because Google recognizes that your page and, and that content should be the first or one of the first pages that offers, quote unquote, organically. And the the very targeted approach, you know, for instance, ceiling collapse. Are there are there other examples of times where you've you've gone against that, that shotgun approach, more of that that sniper approach? towards some of those search terms that have been a benefit to the practice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I just- Without, without that, giving away some of your secret sauce. Oh yeah, sure. No, I don't mind. I, I, I feel like happy to share. Basically like instead of, you know, ranking for like personal injury lawyer, which somebody could do, but you'd need so much content and so much of a spend in terms of the marketing people or the SEO companies. And I know a lot of lawyers are, you know, kind of wary of some SEO companies because they could charge a lot of money and not do much. And I, I've had that experience as well. So what I kind of uh, tend to do is find a niche that I'm interested in, for example, like brain traumatic brain injury or trucking, or it could even be more specific, like a garbage truck accident in the Bronx, for example, which is one specific uh, county, one specific location, and, and only a garbage truck, right? And then you try to rank for that, and then you start getting leads. And because you rank for that, it might also help you in other related areas. So I think it's it, it works. Yeah, like, like ceiling collapses, it definitely worked for us. And I think at one point we were, I have to check if we're still, because it's always, you know, the rankings are always fluctuating. But at one point we were ranking for the, I believe, the spinal fusion surgeries or, or, or keywords with regard to spinal surgeries, which are usually really good cases, 
and um, and we and I we had a nice page built out with some demonstratives that we used in a trial, and we had uh, explanations of all the terms. And it takes a little time to like build out that page, and you need somebody who's more technical who could do the WordPress and write everything for the site, as well as maybe I don't know some lawyers maybe would have time to do it on their own. I've done some writing on my own, but for the most part, I know a lot of lawyers will hire like blog writers to write articles and as long as it's original content and it's quality content and uh, Google, uh, the robots will find it and rank you, you know, so, so it's an interesting, interesting area. I just find like, you know, I was gonna say one thing I love that, that you're saying, I think it's a really important point is this targeted approach with your content. And, and toward your internet marketing is with good cases in mind, right? Is with interesting things, the type of case, hopefully the type of client that you ultimately would would want to represent because it's where you could arguably have the greatest impact on that person's life, help in the most meaningful way. And the beautiful derivative of that is it also means that that you can make money that, that allows you to continue going out and helping people on meaningful cases. Right, exactly, exactly. And that's so important. Yeah, we strive to focus our marketing on the types of cases that we want to attract. And then if we have that client who is in need of a lawyer, we feel like if we could help them, then we we definitely would be happy to help. And then I just find, um, you know, it's very rewarding to help someone, even if it's not a big amount of money for me or my firm, If it's just rewarding to be able to help somebody that's why I was trying to get into these areas where I think uh, the serious cases where the clients need help would be. Because in the past, like when I first started back in 1999, I was, you know, young, just out of law school. I worked for a firm for a year and I would just take anything I could get. And I, when I started my own practice in the year 2000, I had at one point a lot of volume and I don't think we were able to do a good job on all those cases because there's just too many cases. So then we kind of just stopped taking the small cases that met certain criteria or, you know, take a case maybe because you don't know what the injury will be. And if it turns out to be serious, then you can keep it. If it turns out to be soft tissue, you might have a referral partner in place to give it to that person and have a relationship. So, um, yeah. So now the most recent thing uh, has been the YouTube channel where we've been uh, doing, I try to do two videos a week and we've had uh, a lot of comments and I even have a cell phone number that is like a second line on my phone and an app and people will text me and then I'll set up consultations and I'll hear them out. And we've gotten some very interesting cases. I was talking to one gentleman, he had a bad truck crash in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Someone else had a slip and fall with a fusion in Mississippi. You know, and what I'll try to do is I'll try to have a, a lawyer already there that I can work with in each area and then maybe refer it or, or be uh, work with them if they need help on the case, you know, participate in the case. So and I, and I don't do it. You know, I, I always say on my channel, I'm not trying to take any work from other lawyers if it's like a brand new case or sometimes it's a change of attorney. But I never want to take a case from another lawyer. It's just I just want to give them the consultation and then leave it up to them. And I feel like if they feel that, you know, they're not, they're being ignored or, or they or they need a new lawyer. I could help them, but if they are, they're happy with their lawyer, I tell a lot of people just stick with your lawyer, you know, so, and some of the people of course are just brand new cases where they don't have lawyers. 
So it's all, it's all different, but a lot of them, you know, I can't really do much more than just speak with them. And I try to find a time every week to speak to a few people just because I feel like that's, um, you know, it's very rewarding. And then I, yeah, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful that people um, want to, you know, call me and, and want to uh, hear what I think their cases were when I have a free consult. So. When you're, you're just such a genuine, warm person, you know, when you think of, of trial lawyers, sometimes it's this, these big bombastic personalities and you just, you feel the ego emanating. And, and for you, you know, what, what I feel is, is a warmth and, and a man, you know, this, this guy, this guy's not just in it for him. He's, he is truly here uh, to help me. Or Katie, for, for folks who say, you know, I'd love to start a YouTube channel, but how do you film two videos a week? Not in terms of how do you find the time? We can talk about that, but mechanically speaking, what steps do you take to get those videos filmed and then put out on a YouTube channel? Yeah. So in terms of the, the mechanics of it, you know, I started the channel a few years ago and I was, I wasn't putting out content in any regular way. I would just like film a few videos, then not film for six months, then film a few videos. And then over time, over a few years, I think I had about a hundred or videos in there, but I wasn't getting too much uh, traction. And then what I started doing was I started just saying, look, two, two times a week is a good uh, content calendar. So I try to like build out a content calendar. And uh, I still have to work on it because, to be honest, uh, it's kind of like all over the place. Sometimes I'll, an idea will hit my head and I'll put it in my iPhone notes. Sometimes I'll put it in one of those uh, task managers in, uh, in, a, in a desktop app. Or sometimes I'll put it in a Microsoft Word document. So I have it all over the place. But um, the filming is actually fairly easy. I mean, I just use my iPhone. I put it on a little on my desk and I just um, and I just shoot it sometimes I'll have a little outline or from the content calendar or bullet points Um, other times I'll read like a blog article like there was an example of a really good blog article by another lawyer in New York where he talked about values based on verdicts for a certain type of injury I think he did shoulder injury so I just read that blog I took some notes and then I and I did a, a video about that and it seemed to be well received um, but other times I'll just, just talk, you know, I won't have any notes to so just see where it goes and, uh, try to keep it interesting, try to keep it like 10 minutes or less. And it, it's been, it's been going pretty well. I've been getting, I think now on most videos, I'll get at least three to 400 views. And I have about close to two, I, mean, I think I'm right there approaching 2000 subscribers. And I think the total view count is about close to 2 million. So it's getting, it's getting better. Uh, it seems like it's building like a little bit of a community where people who either have questions or either been injured in the past or they have a case now or family member that, so it's a, a lot of people ask about value. What's my case worth or. Yeah. So that was, that was my next question was what videos are you finding draw the most viewers, the most questions, the most contacts? Yeah, definitely. When you make the video about the viewer, about the client, um, you know, about like if they have an injury case, what is the case going to be worth? Um, I think I did one video where I talked about a herniated disc and I said, if it's a car crash and you have enough insurance, if it's just soft tissue treatment, it might be worth, you know, up to 20,000. But if you have a pain management, it might go up to closer to 50. And if you have a surgery, it might be like a few hundred thousand. And then if you have a fusion, it might be even a million or more. 
And that video people really liked because it was giving a range. It was talking about actual cases that I've handled and it kind of answered a lot of the questions that people seem to have. But I think that's the question that people really have. Like, what's my case worth? I feel like a lot of people feel shortchanged by the insurance company because they might either have a lawyer or deal with the insurance company themselves and just get lowballed. And they just don't understand why is the insurance company either telling me my claim is denied or why are they giving me such a low amount where I have a serious injury? I feel like I have, you know, the pe people will say, I feel like I have emotional distress or PTSD or concussion, or I have a bad herniation. I haven't had surgery, but why are they lowballing me, giving me like twice my medical bills or without putting a real number on it? That's, um, that's financial justice. So um, I think that's the question that uh, a lot of people seem to be um, gathering around in terms of the viewers. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what's interesting is, you know, on the one hand, these people are being told by an insurance company or you know, in other instances, let's be let's be honest about it. Their lawyer is basically playing the role of the insurance adjuster, but only on the plaintiff side where, you know, if the if the lawyer is processing the information in the range of potential values through the same exact matrix or, or rubric as an insurance adjuster. I mean, they're, at that point, they're not practicing law. They're basically practicing how to adjust claims almost as an outside adjuster. Like we've got a joke in our office. If someone comes in and starts talking about, well, you know, the medical bills are this and the lost wages are that, and it's, you know, uh, a little bit of soft tissue. I'm like, man, I am going to hand you, we're going to buy a hat that says insurance adjuster and you are going to wear that damn hat around. What's the case actually about? You know, and hell, sometimes the cases, the, the biggest value driver is a medical bill. Other times it, it has, you know, little to, to, to nothing to do with that medical bill. But if, you know, if these clients are coming and saying, you know, on the one hand, the information the insurance company and the lawyer are giving me seem to line up with this notion of my medical bills are this and I should get this much for pain and suffering and that's it. But on the other hand, you know, the same client is like, well, hold on there. I've been through all this. You know, I've been through sleeplessness. I've, you know, I try to go to bed at night. My, my neck is killing me. I can't get through the night. I wake up the next day, you know, and I just, I basically spend my, my life in this very shallow, narrow pool uh, of pain and frustration that's begun to, to creep into all areas of my life. Um, but they're telling me my medical bills are $10,000 and, you know, I get a little bit for pain and suffering. They know on some level that what those insurance folks uh, or their lawyer sometimes is telling them does not match with, is not congruent with the reality of their harm, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's so great that there's someone like you who's putting out content that, that opens up a wider picture that looks at value being driven by damages, damages being by a comprehensive assessment of all the ways they've been harmed, all the losses that exist, and not just taking it through that narrow frame of, you know, medical bills and a little bit of money for pain and suffering. Right, right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's kind of like what all my videos are about, because the things we learned like at Trial by Human and the fact that it's all about the human story and uh, the damage to the life, kind of like the person that it was before the injury and what their passions were, what they loved, and then the person that he or she became after the injury and the difference. And I like to uh, use a lot of community witnesses, uh, 
friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, to get that snapshot of their life before and after and show the difference. And I've been doing it with my clients. I've been doing these actually Zoom calls and sometimes coming to their house too, more now that the pandemic is easing and doing full interviews with them and sitting down and getting to really know who they are as a person. And I've been trying to convey that in some of the videos that that's one of the steps that we take uh, just to the larger audience. And then all the people that call me on my cell phone number, I've done so many consults, nobody has said that their lawyer knows who they were before they got injured, like their childhood, their biography, and knows who they are even now after they've been injured and how they've suffered in all the different ways that they've suffered and their family has suffered and their all the different um values and um, passions in their life. I know some people call it the diamonds in your life, how the diamonds in your life have been affected. Nobody really. So you know, it's funny you mentioned the diamonds in your life. I just got a, we had our South Carolina Trial Lawyer Association for Justice convention recently. And I was driving back listening to a podcast that Rex Paris had done. And he was talking about trying cases with Brian Panish and talking about the diamonds in your life um, and adding up you know, that, that weight of the diamonds you know, cut clarity size, you know, or uh, the way other folks have talked about the the non-economic assets, the true life assets that we have and how those, those assets in our life have been damaged. Cause that's where, that's where the story is. I mean, if I said, Arcady, let's say, you know, God forbid, I, I left the office today and got hit by a drunk driver, tractor trailer, you know, my medical records would tell one story, but you know, my wife, my coworkers, the people at the drive-through Starbucks that I go to a lot, you know, my neighbors, the people that I do community service with, those are the folks that that would be able to tell a story much more accurately than a medical record where a doctor comes in for a few minutes, says, Kenny, how you doing? Well, I think I'm doing pretty good. My back still hurts, but I, I feel like I'm making progress. Note reads, you know, patient progressing as expected, follow up in six weeks. So, so again, if you just take it from the perspective of what do the medical records say? How much are the medical bills? Did they lose any work? What's that number times three or five or six? And you stop there. I mean, you're doing it. I think you're doing a total disservice, not only to the client, but more so to yourself. I mean, it's just a, it's kind of, you know, it's just no way to go through this profession. Um, again, at that point, I think you're really just playing the role of, of outside insurance adjuster uh, versus playing the role of, of lawyer and professional. Right, right. No, I totally agree with you. And it's sad that these insurance companies, that's the way they value the case. They say, oh, based on the medical records, it's worth like 20000 and, um And here in New York, what a lot of lawyers will do is they'll make a demand, you know, and then the, the only thing the insurance company will do is try to whittle down that demand. Say, oh, well, you're demanding too much, demand less, demand less, whittle it down to almost nothing and then settle it for that number. That's why I've tried to also in the YouTube videos, I talked about flipping the script and doing the settlement opportunity letters based on running with the bulls where you tell them, hey, this is worth full justice here is a million dollars, pay it. And if you don't, then we're going to go for five million at once we pick a jury. And that way, I feel like, you know, we don't do that on every case. We do it on the cases that we really believe in, where we feel that we could sit with that client before a jury and take a verdict. But I really think that gives you so much more power as a lawyer, because then if you just take that step, write them that letter, say, pay me within 30 days. If you don't, fine. And your road is so clear. That's your road, right? Um, your road is if they paid you, 
great, you got your million. If they didn't pay you, you're going to trial and you're asking for the five million. So you don't have to really worry anymore. Like your path is is made for you. So it's um, I, I think that's a good way to do it. And definitely, definitely spending as much time as possible with the coworkers, family, with the client. And I've even gotten this book. I think it's called Human. Yeah, I think uh, by Brandon. I'm gonna just check here. Oh, Humans. Yeah, Humans by Brandon Stanton. And there's one called Humans of New York. And it just tells like stories. So it's just basically the guy, uh, Brandon Stanton, he'll go, he'll does Humans of New York all over the world. He'll do like little stories. So he'll show like a person, like for example, you know, uh, some people and just like little human stories, little paragraphs. And it's very interesting. Some of the things, some of the nuances and intricacies that you wouldn't even think of you know and then yeah, i always thought open, opens up your mind yeah and I, I always thought i don't know if it would work i'm certainly not a television producer i always just thought it'd be super interesting back this is 20 years ago or so the show biography you know and they do a biography on some famous person it may be you know a biography on nelson mandela a biography on you know, George Clooney, a biography on all, you know, Julia Roberts, all these famous people. And it was interesting. I always thought it'd be super interesting if they just found, you know, kind of the most random people you could find and tell that story. Yeah. You know, because, you know, then you've got this book, like you said, humans, you got, you know, humans of New York, you see all this content all over the internet where each of us, almost to a person, if not to a person, have a really interesting story. You know, and, and so when you dig in for the clients to find out the story all the way from the beginning, it's something we talk about a lot is, you know, the temptation is to start that story of, of harm and damage and loss and change kind of from the day of the accident or the six months, kind of the, this, what their life looked like at that time. What we found is when we go back and figure out all the damn hard work our client had to undertake, how much they had to endure to get to where they were at that moment in life, just to have somebody else take it away, you know, just to have someone else's wrongdoing inflict that kind of harm on it. You know, it really begins to show the magnitude of that loss. You know, if I said, you know, Arcady, do you remember the first time you thought maybe I should be a lawyer? Do you remember that the time you spent working through law school? Do you remember studying for the bar exam? Do you remember those first few years? Do you remember this entire arc? That, I think, makes for a much more compelling story and, and people to really start to understand the full value, the full magnitude of harm. If, for instance, you could no longer practice versus, you know, our Katie Freckman had a successful personal injury practice and was a well-established lawyer who had it taken from. Right, exactly. Like you can't know where you're going to go in your future if you don't know where you've been. So once they see where you've been, like your childhood and what's important to you, then they can really value that loss and understand that loss. And, and I've seen it myself. I've even surprised myself. Like, for example, I had a trial in uh, March of 2020. It was set in Queens County. And there was a nice lady. She got hit by a car as a pedestrian. She had a fracture in her spine. And it was uh, an insurance company. They were trying to pay $20,000. And it was, I believe, a $1 million policy. So right before the trial... I went to her house and I realized that she sleeps in a different bed, in a different room from her husband because of that fracture. She can't sleep on a bed laying down. She has to sleep on an inclined bed, sitting up 
is which is in one room and her husband of like 30 years has to sleep in a completely different room and i would have never known this if she never told me that no not, not something she ever brought up if i didn't go to her house if i didn't find out about her and i learned about like, the church that she goes to and the food that she cooks and everything i try to use the five senses when i prep them uh everything with what they like to hear what they smell everything to really immerse uh, because I feel like the jurors are just people from the community that have to make a decision. And then if we can immerse them in using the five senses, then you allow them to make a much better decision. And the other point, I think, is that instead of telling them what something you know is worth or, or telling them uh, what happened, I like to show them, like show the jury through little uh, stories, through little dialogue, through little these witnesses. Sometimes these Community witnesses, like circle of friends type witnesses, could testify for less than five minutes, but they they help show the story, and that's really powerful. So yeah, definitely, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that I'm trying to do on all the all the cases right now. I'm trying to get my other uh, team members to do it too, so we work as a cohesive team. So everybody's doing these preps with the human story, and and then we should um, yeah, it should be a, a busy season this fall. We have some. We have some trials. We have some uh, settlement conferences, trials set. So usually that's what lawyers call the settlement season, right? Between like September and December when carriers are paying fair settlements and a lot of trials are going. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. What's the case that you have right now that you're most excited about? And by excited, I mean most most passionate, most like this is as a lawyer and as a person, this is the, this this is my favorite case, or these are my favorite cases, and and not just from a you know not it's easy for lawyers like oh it's the one that may be worth the most money, and sometimes that's true because of the underlying story that that validates and warrants the money. You know sometimes it's because there's there's this incredible connection to a client. Sometimes it's because of an incredible connection to an issue. Sometimes it's just because you want to beat the other lawyers or the other side's <laughs> brains in so bad. Uh, but for you, as you're looking ahead to some of these cases, is there one that stands out? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few cases. I would say maybe the cases that deal with traumatic brain injury. I'm kind of interested in that right now. I'm doing a lot of uh, research, attending some CLEs and even some MCLEs for doctors just to learn more about it. And uh, yeah, this one case I was working on recently, I just had depositions where a boy was in his stroller. He was only three years old and they were doing some work on one of the buildings in Manhattan and a bolt from the window fell and hit him in the head and he suffered a TBI. And now he's older, he's already 15 and the case is still pending. And uh, he, he recently had all the imaging the neuroimaging, like the diffuse tensor imaging and other neuroquant. And it came back very positive that he has the brain injury. And um, before that, the carrier was only offering, I think like 30,000 and they kept like poo-pooing the case. There's no way this is a six-figure case. There's no way it's not brain injury. And the thing that I really didn't, you know, the thing that really surprised me is that when I sent him even to neurologists, like my like plaintiff-friendly neurologists, they just kind of looked at him and said, nah, that's probably just because his parents got a divorce. So that's not from the brain injury. But now that he's had the neuroimaging and the neuropsychological testing, and now he has a new neurologist, it's like finally somebody who understands this that can kind of like, you know, 
the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, they finally found that he does have, which is what I've been saying. I even had a fight with one of the other lawyers in my firm because the other lawyer was like, sell this case for whatever, 30, 40,000. I said, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do right by this child. I'm going to make sure, you know, I don't mind paying the first expert, the second expert, the 10th expert. I want to make sure that it's not a traumatic brain injury. And now it's kind of like these final doctors have found that it is a traumatic brain injury, which is what we have sus- suspected all along. Well, I think, I mean, I think you bring up a couple really important points. You know, one is when, when children s- suffer a brain injury and brain damage at a young age, the term that, that I've heard now we talk about is they grow into their injury, right? You know, for a five-year-old, uh, life can be hard, but from a mental processing standpoint, it's not that damn challenging. Once you get to 13, 14, 15, you know, some of these uh, cognitive challenges, some of these behavioral challenges, some of these emotional social challenges, they really begin to grow into their injury and, and evidence themselves throughout the client's life. And I love the point that you make on the neuroimaging. I mean, we we just did a presentation recently and, and we started off with, you know, by definition, is there a brain injury? Are there lay witnesses, you know, community witnesses, the term you're using um, who can talk about the differences before and after for a child, that's very hard to do. So do you have physical evidence of brain injury? You know, the, the defense always calls it objective damage. And my, my position is always like, look, you know, when it comes to brain injury, the objective evidence in a case is everywhere. You know, the objective evidence is in losing jobs, losing marriages, losing friends, losing homes. There's plenty of objective evidence. And at the same time, I love having that if possible, to prove that that physical evidence of brain damage. And, you know, you mentioning diffusion tensor imaging, which is looking at axons, neuroquant, which is looking at, at brain volume and an accelerated atrophy. Uh, it's just so critical in certain cases, especially I think pediatric cases, to, to really prove this thing. And, you know, for, for your client, you know, you mentioned DTI, you know, DTI, most doctors will tell you, you're not doing that when the child is five or seven or 10 uh, or even up until ages 14 or, or 15. So, you know, just a lot of respect uh, and gratitude for you waiting in this till this child was, was 15, sticking with the case for, you know, 12 years um, and just giving a damn. So, you know, on behalf of a lot of us, man, from, from South Carolina all the way up to New York, thank you. Oh, thank you. No, I think that it was the right thing to do. Hopefully now we'll be able to get full justice for him and for his family and uh and then just really nice people too so i enjoy talking with them and like their human story is very compelling too his mother was out there trying to get um, people vaccinated and volunteering and she actually instead of working for i know some people work as home health aides but she actually went out and she just um took on a client who's 100 years old uh, just to, and just helps that client as her personal home health aide first she did it as a volunteer and now the family is paying her a little bit, but that's, you know, she just wants to do it to help people. So I feel like that'll be, they'll be really good witnesses before a jury too. Once it, once it goes to trial. Arcadia, just as a, out of curiosity, the young man who's now 15, what, what challenges, what problems is he having in his life that, that correlate with brain damage? Yeah. He's having a lot of different challenges. He has a, a special uh, placement. So his school has told him that he has a traumatic brain injury and he's 
put in a special um, assessment, uh, individual uh, assessment, and also just just uh, he just forgets things. Like for example, one example was that he loves to go to Coney Island and ride the cyclone and the, the roller coaster. That's like his favorite thing. And so his mom told him, hey, tomorrow we're going to Coney Island. He was so excited. Then he goes to bed at night. He wakes up the next morning. And then his mom, it's about 9 a.m. His mom's like, are you ready to go? And he's where where are we going? What, what are you talking about? And he would just forget that even though it's like his favorite thing is to go to Coney Island, he would forget that that's what they're doing. And just a lot of examples like that. Of, um, but he's uh, otherwise, but you'd have to do a little bit of a deep dive because otherwise he's just a normal kid. Uh, um, except for the fact that he's placed in a special program at school and he has these examples of where he forgets things. But um, I mean, one thing that, that we saw, we had, it was the first time we did a, a brain injury case for, for a kid. And I remember, you know, our, our kid was young at the time. I mean, he was, he was three, almost four, and he had a hypoxic injury. So, you know, decreased oxygen and ischemic decreased blood to the brain. Um, and it was bad. I mean, it was bad stuff, but you know, a week after his injury, you know, his parents are filming him out in the front yard. He's playing ball, having a great time. You know, initially they're like, oh, he's, he's doing great. We don't see any, any problems. They were just mad at the daycare for putting a story out in the press that, uh, that didn't reflect the the facts. And we went up there and talked with them and, you know, we asked them to just kind of keep an eye on a, a couple few things. And sure enough, within a couple few months, you know, they start being like, well, you know, he's a lot different than he used to be. He's a lot more impulsive. He doesn't listen as well. He was always our kid who was the most timid and um, the most sensitive. And now, you know, he's trying to do backflips out of trees. So randomly kick up, run up to his brother and kick him in the face. You know, he wants to sleep all day. He doesn't want to sleep at night. He's just, he's just like a different little kid. And, uh, you know, the defense in that case was like, well, I mean, you know, if if, if jumping out of trees and, and not listening to mom is evidence of a brain injury, well, I guess we all got kids with brain injuries. And the, the mistake they were making and the mistake I was making early on, and, and then it kind of hit me, was we kept on comparing this little boy to kids without brain damage. When the, the population pool we needed to compare him to was to children with brain damage. You know, we, they were treating it as if this, were, this was like a plane that had never crashed. <laughs> You know, as whereas we were treating it as in terms of the, the facts that actually exist. And that guy, Michael Freeman, I think, does a good job of saying, you know, don't deal with hypotheticals that presuppose or insert uh, facts that don't exist. You know, for instance, a, you know, a, a rear end crash, you know, in 70 percent of the cases, people don't hurt their back. Well, this is one of those 30 percent of cases where someone did hurt their back. And in in 95 percent of those cases, this is what the back injury may look like here even though the number of children with brain injuries may be relatively small, what we know about children with brain injuries is they have the, the following challenges, problems, impairments. And so when you start looking at it through the proper lens, again, not as a child without a brain injury, but as a child with a brain injury, the evidence started jumping off the page. And, uh, and we got a very qualified expert to help explain that phenomenon and that truth uh, to the other side and, and you know, led, to, led to a good outcome. But yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, if, if you'd taken that little boy at, at age three or four, it would have been really hard for the other side to understand because at three or four, you're not super concerned about a child's memory, but at 13, 14, 15, when that, you know, the executive function, uh, when we really need to start having some, some impulse control, 
Uh, some multi-step planning, some multi-step yeah. execution. You know, as life becomes more challenging, that's where those brain injuries, that brain damage really shows up. So once again, um, man, thank you so much just for for fighting the good fight for what sounds like a very deserving young man and family. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy spending time with the family and it's almost like a puzzle. You know, you want to get to the bottom of it. And like I was saying before, you can't stop because you might have one neurologist say no and another one say no, but you know, they're not really doing any testing. They're just examining them in the office and just giving you a no. That's almost like an IME doctor here in New York. Some of these DME, you know, defense medical exam doctors will examine a patient for one or two minutes and then say, oh, there's no injury or this is all degenerative, you know, and I uh, just can't really base everything on that. So I like to do more of a deep dive and uh, not stop until I get to the, get to the real answer. And, you know, and you're working to get to that real answer with your clients. You're working to share those real answers uh, on your YouTube channel and, and other platforms. And I just, I'm so happy for, uh, for your success. I'm happy that, that deserving people are finding you. Arcady, for, for our listeners, how can they find you? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, we have an easy phone number. It's uh, 212-222-1111. That's our main office number, uh, Manhattan number. And then we have our, uh, my email is my first name, Arcady at 866-attylaw.com. And that's the same as our website, just 866-attylaw.com. It's also a phone number, website, email. So I got that back in I think 1999. So I've tried to keep using it. It's easy to remember. And it's uh, attorney law, which is the ATTY. And uh, it has the uh, 866. So you could call it. You could go to the website and uh, or you could um, email me. And uh, yeah, and our YouTube is just the name of our firm, uh, Freckman and Associates. So uh, that's been. Uh, and and yeah. Freckman is F-R-E-K-H. T M A N Freckman and your first name Arcadia is spelled A R K A D Y. All right. And, and Arcadia, now that I've done the spelling, tell us one more time the name of your law firm. Oh, sure. It's uh, Freckman and Associates. Wonderful. And y'all are based in, in New York City and, uh, and just doing a terrific job. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And we try to help serious injury victims and families and just give everybody try to be a resource, like a guide, you know, just to help people. Even if we can't take their case, we try to at least give them some advice or put them on the right path or, you know, recommend someone else, just kind of help, help them and be that, uh, be that guide, be available for people. Yeah. That it's amazing when the, when the primary objective is to help, uh, it's incredible the the ways that you find to, to accomplish that aim. So Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all so much for, for listening to another episode of Best Practices with Kenny Berger. Our guest today once more is Arcady Frechtman from Brooklyn and throughout New York City, New York. And Arcady, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much.